Uh, have you ever heard the uh, the idea, certainly based on a passage of Scripture, which the Lord tells Abraham, I will bless those who bless you. You know, people think uh, that Christianity is sort of like a uh, like an investment program because they still believe that they're if they're a Christian, they, somehow they think that they're still in the Mosaic Covenant in which if they tithe or they give, God blesses them. And if they don't tithe and they don't give, God curses their money. That's 100% false. It couldn't be more false. And I, I know, I know there are all kinds of testimonies where people say that, that they weren't tithing and they started tithing and then they got this. And, yeah, that's the devil. That's correct. That's the devil. If deceiving you with money is all it takes, he'll be glad to give you some money to keep you thinking that you're operating under the curses and the blessings of the Mosaic Covenant. The Mosaic Covenant, to be under that covenant, if, you, if you're wanting to do that, which would be pretty, pretty foolish, since we're being offered a new covenant, a better one, where we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. But if you want to be under that old one, there are two requirements. Number one, you have to be a Jew. If you're not a Jew, you don't convert to Judaism, you are not under the Mosaic Covenant. You can't. It's not possible. Secondly, you have to be living in the land of Israel because all the curses and blessings have to do with the land. So if you're not meeting those two requirements, whatever you think is happening to you, it's not from the Lord. It's the devil. He's deceiving you. I don't know what it is with American Christians. It's like we act like we have some sort of big fence around this country that doesn't let demons in here. Well, I got bad news for you. They're in the church. They're in congregations all over this country. Foolish people doing stupid things. We are not under that covenant anymore. But even if you want one, I mean, if you want a good one, you know, the Lord did say, did tell Abraham, and this, this, is, this is connected to the Abrahamic covenant, but still, you know, I will curse those who curse you. I will bless those who bless you. So if you're looking for a Christianized financial investment, I'm Jewish. Would you like to send me a big old check? <laughs> Maybe the Lord, will, the Lord will bless you. Maybe at the end of this episode, I'll, I'll give you my, my address and you can mail me a big check so God will bless you. If that's really what you think, you're really a fool. It doesn't work like that. So now that I have your attention, the seventh stone in the road that needs to be dealt with in this country, Christians who claim to be people who believe they belong to Jesus of Nazareth, is the issue of materialism. This should be a no-brainer. This should take me like two seconds to talk about. But unfortunately, I'm going to have to take three episodes to deal with it because it's such a huge issue. And what people seem to totally forget is that the the, the harlot Babylon is a religious and an economic system. The mark of the beast is put on the forehead and on the hand, symbolizing the way you think and the things you do. Many of you listening to this are already being prepared to receive the actual mark because you're already thinking in a worldly way. You're already thinking materialistically. You're already doing things that have to do with money and religion. You're setting yourself up. You need to repent. 
Materialism is the true God, the true higher power of the United States of America. And one of the many gods, higher powers, of the church in the United States of America. We even determine our well-being by the gross national product. We, we, we determine whether or not a president is a good president or a leader is a good leader because of our economic blessing. That's how we measure it. That's how connected to materialism we are. It's like the air we breathe. Literally, it's the air we breathe. It's in everything we do. Now, I'm certainly for pro-life, but I'm not a part of the pro-life movement. But I know some people who are, and they're very involved. And one of the things that they say, again, I've not checked this to see if it's accurate, but it'll still work with the example I'm about to give you. But they say that at one time, the second largest abortion clinic was here in the United States, the largest one being in Peking, China. Now, again, I don't know that's, if that's all factual or not, but that's what these people who are involved with the movement say. So in this, there is an actual large abortion clinic in South Houston. Uh, the thing is, there is plenty of money in the church just in the Houston area, much less across the country, to create, shall we call it, the second largest anti-abortion clinic? In other words, we could create, in fact, there was some actual property right near this abortion clinic that could, be, could have been purchased. We could have had state-of-the-art birthing uh, place, state-of-the-art, uh, you know, with, with, of course, physicians and nurses and all that kind of thing, but even state-of-the-art uh, job location, you know, finding, helping young mothers find jobs, uh, babysitting services, uh marital counseling, I mean, all kinds of things to offer people instead of getting an abortion, hey, come over here, let us help you. In fact, for next to nothing, maybe even free, completely free, we'll help you. Let's not kill the baby, let's keep it. Adoption agency could be in there. I mean, state of the art, you know, top of the line kinds of things. Of course, it would take money to do that. But instead of the church in this area, the Houston area, putting up the money to create such an entity, oh no, we'd rather have big churches and big paychecks and all that kind of stuff. But hey, we're going to go down there and pray, march and pray about the, the abortion clinic. I believe in prayer, but how about some action? How about putting our money where our mouth is? That would make a difference. But we don't do it. In Jesus' day, there was a similar example of the evil impact that God of money had, and it was called Korban. It's in Mark chapter 7. Here's the context. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law, these are the religious elite and the Bible teachers, they're adhering to what's called the tradition of the elders. This is, this is the precursor to what became the Talmud. The, the Talmud is a gigantic sort of encyclopedia with um, the commentary of rabbis over hundreds of years on various passages of scripture. But it's called the tradition of the elders. It's not scripture, although sometimes it's sort of treated like scripture. 
And, uh, and so what this, this tradition of the elders does is it provides interpretation of Moses' laws on all kinds of things. Like, how far can you walk on the Sabbath and it not be considered work? Well, a bunch of rabbis came up with ideas of how, long, how far you can walk. Well, in this case, it has laws about washings and just all that stuff. So to counter these guys, because they're confronting Jesus with him, he's not obeying the, these traditions about washings. So to counter, Jesus brings up something called korban that they were doing that is a violation of Scripture. See, Jesus was, he may have been violating what this tradition of the elders said about washings, but they were violating actual scripture. And here's what, here's how it works. Jesus pointed them to the sixth commandment, which said to honor your parents, especially taking care of them. Of course, a person had to plan for this sort of thing. In other words, there was no retirement plan back then. Your children took care of you in retirement. You may have moved in with one or two of them. You may have kind of rotated around, but your children saved up and provided money for their parents so that they would be okay. Because there's, again, there's no social security or, you know, any of that kind of stuff. Uh, there's no 401ks, you know, that. So your, your children did it for you. It was part of how they, they took care of you. But some of these spiritually mature elitists, these Bible teachers, what they would do, is they would take that sum of money that they've been saving and they would call it korban. They would declare it's korban. That is a gift to God. And here's sort of an example. This isn't literal, but this is sort of like what they were doing. They Let's say they saved up $10,000. They would go to one of the priests at the temple and they'd say, here's $1,000. And here's $1,000 for the temple. But would you mind writing down in the temple records that I gave 10000 And then they would pocket the eight. So publicly, it was like they gave the ten, but they actually gave a thousand to the, a priest and a thousand to the temple, but the priest wrote down 10000 And then they walked away with the eight. And that way, they could say, oh, sorry, mom and dad, I gave the money. You know, I just want to be real spiritual. And so I gave the money to the temple and to the priest to help them. But, oh, well, sorry, too bad. And they wouldn't help their parents. Jesus knew they were doing this. He was not okay with it. It was just a manipulation of funds. So what about today? Well, there are tons of examples. I wrote down a few, but I could have, I could have probably written a book. I know a man that uh, he was a high-ranking person at a company, uh, and he he was one, in fact he was one of the uh, original pe- people who created the company, and he does very very well from this this company that in, in fact all the founders were, were supposedly Christians, and they went to church and all that kind of stuff. So he owns a house in the city where this company is located. He's also uh, he has uh, a a beach house and he has a house in the mountains of Colorado. He has several nice vehicles. Some of them are restored vintage ones. So basically, he drives a different car to work every day. And this man is seen by his coworkers and the people around him 
as a godly Christian man. And while they may think he's a good guy and a nice guy, what does Jesus think of his lifestyle? He owns three houses. He needs three houses, one on the mountains, one on the beach, and one there in the city. He needs all these cars. Did Jesus give this man the ability to create this company for his own personal benefit and pleasure? Meanwhile, working for this man is a person I also know. This person has probably the most difficult job at the company because they produce a certain product that they ship and they have customers here in the, in the country, here in the United States, but also overseas. This person is in charge with the overseas shipping. In overseas shipping, you have to be perfect. If you miss one letter, one number on the, on the form, that product, thousands of dollars worth of product, sits on the dock until they get the correct paperwork. And of course, by then, somehow that product disappeared. It went away. Someone took it. And so the company would be out thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars. It produced very expensive equipment. So she had to do her job perfectly. She's helping the company make a lot of money. And yet she couldn't, she had to buy a cheap roll of paper towels and make them last a month. She was like just a line above poverty. And yet her superior is this man, three houses and all these cars. How's that right? And and this is a Christian? I know a husband and wife who are both pharmacists, and they own their own pharmacy in a small town in northeast Texas. They could significantly lower the price, but they don't. Because people, even on Social Security, this is the only pharmacy they could go to. These people can charge the government pretty much whatever they want. And they've made themselves a very, very nice standard of living, charging sick people for medications. I'm aware of a number of leaders in the Houston area, large congregations. One drives a a bright yellow Hummer. (laughs) Ah, boy, there's the Hummer again. Two live in some of the most expensive and exclusive neighborhoods in the city. And one actually has a chauffeur who takes him to and from his office every day, like as if he's a CEO. Uh, the pastor of one of the first mega churches here in the Houston area, uh, actually, he actually showed me this. He had a barn uh, out in the country. I went to see him out there. And uh, he had, um, I don't know, half a dozen completely restored Mustangs, vintage Mustangs in his barn. In fact, his barn was nicer than the uh, little duplex my wife and and child and I were living in at the time. Restored Mustangs, you know, 66, 67. I mean, perfect condition. He was very proud of them. There's a well-known healer travels around in his own jet. There's a guy that claims to be an apostle that lives in a 7,000 square foot mansion. A preacher that boasts about that he preaches the blessed lifestyle and I'm pretty sure he didn't mean the poor in spirit. 
kind of blessed. There's also a host of female speakers. One owns a ranch and two 45-acre houses. Another is worth $8 million. I could keep going. And yet we, we act like this is okay. Here's what Paul told Timothy, who he was mentoring. Here's a trustworthy saying, if anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, a leader, he desires a noble task. But this leader must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, and most importantly, not a lover of money. Why do we just leave that one off? And yet we listen and we buy the books and we go to the churches of these people that are living a big American lifestyle. Paul goes on with Timothy. There are leaders who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. The name it and claim it, the health and wealth. There's nothing wrong with me living in a big house and driving big cars and flying around my own jet. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and are trapped into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction, maybe not physically, but spiritually. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, men of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Maybe these leaders today are unaware of Jesus' commentary and rebuke of the leaders of his day. Luke 16, the Pharisees, that is the leaders, who loved money, heard all of this and were sneering at Jesus, something he had said to them. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your heart. What people highly value is detestable in God's sight. Examples of this abound. Not only are many leaders doing this, but so are their, are their congregants. A grave and ominous warning from Jesus comes to my mind. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. Now, you don't have to be the super-duper rich, which I'll talk about in, one, in another episode. You can be middle class and live like that. Luxury, compared to the vast majority of people on this planet, Middle-class Americans live in a lot of luxury. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, 
because I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime, you received good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. The man answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. That is, they have the Bible. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, to the scriptures, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. I tell you, the fear of the Lord just comes on me when I read that. Do we really want to ignore everything Jesus said about money, the warnings about it, the materialistic lifestyles we're living? We should be scared. And those leaders and those people in those congregations, those big churches and all that big, big, big money, money, money should be scared. And yet, they're not. They justify it. They even claim that God is blessing them. I don't think it's the Lord. I think it's the devil. Did you notice that this rich man was of the Abrahamic covenant? And sort of the watered-down theology of the church, it's like this man believed in Jesus. He went to church. He read his Bible. He did good things. He would have been a good American Christian. And yet, what he did with his money landed him in hell. Did you notice also that this man asked for his family to be warned before it was too late for them? And the answer he was given was that his family has the word of God. Thus, they have no excuse. Do you have a Bible? If you do, then you too will be without excuse concerning living the American dream. You're serving the God of money and you're treasuring materialism. Use whatever American excuse you want to explain living the American way. Just know that Jesus ain't going to buy it. No pun intended.
More of you, Jesus. More.